Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I don't know whether your faith is pre-millennial or post-millennial. I'm not really even sure what those terms mean. But uh, when you go home today, you can tell people that you've been to a post-prorogation service <laughs> and hopefully survived. Now, how many of you have seen the film The Truman Show? Perhaps it's something that maybe we oldies have seen and perhaps not known by a younger audience, The Truman Show, where Jim Carrey plays Truman Burbank, who was born into an artificial world created for a United States uh, TV audience, and he's the only real person in that world. Everyone else are actors just playing their part, and every movement he makes, every word he speaks, almost every thought that he thinks is captured on film for an invisible audience, and the people of the US were absolutely captured watching him grow up and all of his comings and goings. And the story of the film really is, is Truman's growing realisation that his world is somehow fake, artificial, and that there's a real bigger world outside, which he eventually discovers, both by accident and design. Now, many people today are living life in much the same way as Truman, unaware that there's a bigger, real picture, a real world out there in which our daily lives are just a tiny part. And in the passage from Ephesians, which was so eloquently read for us by Alison, Paul invites us to consider this bigger picture he sets the context in this well-known passage by talking about principalities and powers, a spiritual dimension, a spiritual battle, spiritual forces. Now, what do we know about the Apostle Paul? He was a hard-nosed, intellectual Jewish lawyer, zealous in upholding the Mosaic law with all its rules and regulations. 
until he had that famous encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He was not some flimsical, sorry, some flimsy, whimsical, actually that's quite a good new word I've just invented. Flimsical is a good word, meaning airy-fairy. He wasn't like that. He wasn't this kind of whimsical, poetic type you saw imaginary worlds and fairies at the bottom of the garden. He was a hard-nosed, hard-thinking person. But all through his writings, he talks about heaven and hell, of higher forces at work that impact our time-space world. Now, if you consider yourself a Christian today, but you do not really believe in a spiritual world, in spiritual forces, in heaven and hell, my friend, you are living like Truman in a small artificial world that's only a fraction of the true story. And the person in the Bible who spoke about heaven and hell more than anybody else, more than anybody else put together, in fact, is Jesus himself. Maybe that's understandable, because he came, of course, from the glory of heaven. Indeed, the Bible tells us it was through Jesus that the the world was made in the first place, that the universe was made in the first place. And on the cross, as he hung, dying for our sins, he literally went down into hell for our sakes. No wonder, then, that he spoke frequently of this wider reality, the spiritual context in which our world sits. This understanding of a wider spiritual reality is at the heart of our gospel. So I'd like to just spend a few moments unpacking precisely what is a Christian worldview, the the worldview that Paul clearly embraced. What difference does it make and how do I get one? So then, what's the essence of a Christian worldview as set out by the Bible? Well, we start in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's where we came from. Now, I don't know, and you don't know, how long it took or the extent to which evolution was a part of this process and design, but we do know and we do believe that God started it all. 100,000 million stars in this galaxy. I love to quote that stat. 100 million stars in our galaxy, every star presumably has planets going around it, and there are at least 100,000 million galaxies, just like the one that we're in, all created by the force behind the universe that we call God. So in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And next, we believe, as part of our Christian worldview, that he created us in his own image, male and female. That's why we have people who are musical, creative, kind, capable of the deepest love, funny, poetic, brilliant, and so on. Whether Christians or not, because we are created in God's image. But we are fallen, created for a special relationship with God, but we blew it. We, went, we chose our own path. We chose our own stubborn, selfish path rather than the one that God set before us. Now let's not wag our finger at Adam and Eve. I think if we were there, we would have done the same. We know our hearts, don't we? Our rebellious, selfish, stubborn hearts. So created in his image, but fallen. But into this narrative comes another long word, redemption. 
Redemption, central to our Christian world's view, is God's historic intervention. Because he loves us so much, he will not let us go. Because he's a God of justice and holiness, our sin cannot go unpunished. But because he loves us so much, he sent Jesus to take that punishment for us, to die in our place so we can live. That when we die, we can live for eternity with him in a new heaven and a new earth. And that is the final part of the Christian worldview jigsaw. When we die, we don't just rot. There will be a day of judgment and those who have placed their trust in Christ will live with him forever. Created in his image, fallen, but being redeemed. A created beginning, a meaningful middle, and a glorious end. That is the Christian worldview. Well, let's just compare that for a second to a secular worldview. That in the beginning, there was nothing. That in some unknown way, matter was formed over which billions of years evolved into the sophisticated world we see around us today. And I'd like to quote from a famous quote from one of the high priests of secular atheism, Bertrand Russell, at the turn of the 20th century. And listen, please listen carefully to this extraordinary quote. That man is the product of causes, causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental co-locations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labours of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Just listen to this final sentence. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. <clears throat> the firm foundation of unyielding despair. No meaning in the universe, no God, no design, no point to my existence at all. There's nothing higher in the universe than my own desires, my own instincts. My origins are random. When I die, I rot. If the beginning is meaningless and the ending is meaningless, guess what, dear friends? The bit in the middle the brief existence as a human being is meaningless also. We exist, says Bertrand Russell and many other secular philosophers, we exist to continue to exist. Natural selection is the driving force behind the universe. No moral or external absolutes. So there we have it, a Christian worldview, a secular worldview, radically different. My question to you today is which one are you living your life by. But secondly then, and very much more, much more, more briefly, you'll be pleased to hear, what difference does it make whether we live out our years on this planet with a Christian 
or a secular worldview? Well, I contend it makes a massive difference. With a Christian worldview, let me just try these three points on you. First of all, the history of the world and human nature is explained. Its origins and its ultimate destiny. Our creativity and goodness mingled with our sin and selfishness, good and evil, kindness and cruelty, Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler, all as a result of our twofold nature, created in the image of God but fallen. That's why better education can make a difference, but it will never change the human condition. That's why better laws can make a difference, but will never solve all of our problems. That's why still in the 2019 we have the majority of the world's population living in poverty or under oppressive regimes or subject to conflict, created in the image of God but fallen, human nature, the truth thereof. And I remember very well indeed when I became a Christian in 1979 from an atheist background and I gave my life to Jesus in southeast London in a, in a Sunday evening service in a ramshackled old former Boy Scout hut I went home that night to my grotty little flat above a butcher's shop in Grove Park uh, in southeast London, and it was as though the roof of my head had been taken off, and suddenly there was this greater understanding of my origins, my destiny, the purpose of my life, and it completely blew my mind. Christian worldview makes us different people. Also caused us to be not too optimistic, because the world will never be perfect, but not too pessimistic there's always hope. Secondly, our attitude to others is transformed. If we're all created in the image of God, every individual, no matter how handicapped or challenging, no matter which political party they support or are a member of, even if they're a member of parliament, every person is worthy of respect and dignity. So the utilitarian philosophy of the greatest good to the most people, that the minority can be sacrificed for the sake of the majority, simply can't be reconciled with our worldview. And the greatest command of Jesus, of course, running all through the Bible, is to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbour as ourselves. A Christian worldview places us at the forefront of compassion and social action. And finally, a Christian worldview changes our plans for our lives. It's not about any longer our personal happiness or my achievements or how much wealth I can amass but it's about his plan for my life. How can I obey? How can I serve? If I have to give account of my life on the day of judgment, how will I live to an audience of one? And then very, very finally, in three minutes, <clears throat> we've said, what is a Christian worldview? What difference does it make versus a secular worldview? And finally, how can I get a Christian worldview, and there is only one way, and that's for us to have an encounter with the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the uniqueness of our faith is that its founder did not come to bring us the truth, he is the truth. And coming from heaven, he demonstrated what God is like, how much he loves us, and in his life and death accomplished everything necessary to reconcile us to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is not good advice. 
It doesn't primarily tell us how to live. It's good news. It tells us what Christ has done to enable us to be forgiven and redeemed. All we have to do is believed. <clears throat> so there we are then. A gospel of grace, the slate wiped clean, to carry around with us this bigger picture, this Christian worldview. We need to meet with Jesus and ask him into his ask him into our life. There is no other way. So what about you? Are you still living in the Truman Show? In your small artificial world? Or can you see the bigger picture? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for this great truth that we live in a time-space world, but it's part of a bigger context, a bigger picture, a spiritual dimension. We thank you that there is a heaven, there is a hell. Thank you that you came from heaven to die for us so that we can live with you in eternity. Help us today, whether we've been Christians for many years or still grappling with a new young faith. Help us today to understand what it means to have a Christian worldview and the difference it makes to our lives. And especially, Lord, will you continue to enable us to have that encounter with you that brings all of this into reality in our lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.